We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 this morning. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus has been uh, facing the Pharisees on a series of uh, Sabbaths. You know, he's got the, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's just healed a man with a withered hand. And uh, the Pharisees are now trying to conspire against him to kill Jesus. Jesus, aware of this, we're, we're told in the beginning of verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, please show us your son this morning. We pray the Holy Spirit would be present with us, and show us the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he is to us. For your great name's sake, amen. Well, <clears throat> the last day of the year, we turn another page on another year. And as time goes on, you and I are reminded of the, the things that change, right? 365 days have gone. Um, what was once, what once began as a year full of promise, with opportunities, with exciting resolutions perhaps, has come and gone. And how did you do on your resolutions for last year? Um, how did you uh, fulfill all the opportunities that were given your way? Perhaps as you look back over the past year, you are filled with uh, gratitude, excitement, joy. But there can also be loss, sorrow, regret over what was. As we think about the passing of time, uh, one of the great psalms that reminds us of God's um, eternality and the fact that we, we change but he does not is Psalm 90. Moses says there, <clears throat> Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses says in that same a psalm that you and I are like a dream. We are like grass that flourishes for a while before it fades and it withers. So as we see the passage of time, one of the things that me and you need to do as we take the opportunity on New Year's Eve today to reflect upon is that though so many things do change, one thing does not change. Jesus Christ. God. He is our dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know that old hymn. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. And so it's with that in mind, with the fact that as we close one year and turn the page to another, 
I want us to reflect upon the thing that stays the same in the midst of a changing world, in the midst of changing lives, and that's Jesus Christ and who he is and who he is particularly to you and me, which we see here in these verses this morning from Matthew chapter, 5, chapter 12. Jesus, as we just said, has, <clears throat> has gone away. He's withdrawn from the Pharisees. The Pharisees are there to oppose him. And these, these verses, this section of scripture, is filled with opposition to Jesus, to the salvation that he's come to bring, to the grace that he's come to offer. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus Christ did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. And yet, as the one who comes as the light into the darkness, we realize how so often we love the darkness rather than the light because, as John says, our deeds are evil. But Jesus withdraws from there, but notice what happens. Many followed him. Many followed him. Elsewhere in a parallel account in Mark's gospel, uh, Mark talks about how many people go and follow Jesus and they go to the seaside and there's so many people there that Jesus has to get a boat so that way he can be in the, uh, the lake, right? So that way people are not pressing around him to crush him so that he can keep safety. Uh, but, but he's there, he's healing all of these people full of love and compassion, ordering them not to make him known. Matthew tells us that all of this shows us the kind of Savior that we have. And it's the kind of Savior that the world doesn't want, but it's the kind of Savior that the world needs. He says, first of all, that Jesus is God's beloved servant that uh, the Father has chosen. He is the darling of heaven. He's beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. This reminds you again, doesn't it, of, of uh, Jesus' baptism where God the Father says, that one is my son with whom I'm well pleased. That one's a keeper. But secondly, he also says here that he is filled with the Spirit. He says, I will put my Spirit upon him. Jesus has all power given to him, and the Holy Spirit dwells upon him and has been given to him so that he has infinite power, not only because of his divine person, but also empowered by the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity, to, uh, to cast out the evil works of darkness in this world and to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to us. And lastly, he says, he will proclaim justice. So not only is he God's beloved servant, he is filled with the Spirit, but he's also a preacher of the Word. He proclaims justice to the Gentiles. Now, one of the things that Matthew also highlights from Isaiah is verse 19 about the kind of Savior that we have. He says about Jesus, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Particularly around Christmas time, you might hear about people who, um, particularly if they're wealthier, um, and we don't want to judge motives here, but sometimes you hear, right, that some people have done something really nice for uh, maybe people who are impoverished or people who are in need. And we're glad that people do those things, particularly around Christmas time, right? But another thing that can come into your mind is you're like, well, why are they doing that? Are they doing that good thing in order 
because they actually love those people? Are they doing that good thing because they want a good reputation and they want to be more well-known? You see, just like uh, you and me, so many of these people, we do things that are good in order to be praised by men. But Jesus is not that way. Jesus does not heal people in order to be made known. Jesus came to be known so that he could heal us all. So that we would know who he is for us. So it highlights Jesus' humility. But this is the kind of Savior we have. And then I want to focus here on verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Jesus actually cares for us in a way that he doesn't need to use us to puff up his own ego or to build his resume. He already is complete, as we've read earlier. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. But he has come to us, and he describes us this way as a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. The idea here of being bruised has the idea that you're about to fall to pieces. Has anybody ever felt that way this past year? You felt crushed, broken, oppressed, struggling, discouraged. And you're like this reed, this plant that has only like one thin fiber remaining. And you're thinking it would just be so easy just to pull me apart and I'm done. Bruised reeds or a smoldering wick, right? A candle that is about to go out and all you would have to do is just, it wouldn't even take hardly a breath and it would just go out forever. Have you ever felt that way? The reality is, is whether you felt it or not, Jesus says that's who you are. You are about to fall to pieces apart from God. You are a smoldering wick. You are a dream. You're like the grass, the Bible says, right? That is here one day, but gone the next. You're a bruised reed. And that's the kind of people Jesus came to minister to. Look here, he's, he's with all of these people, all of these broken people, these bruised reeds like you and me, about to fall to pieces, to crumble in our hands. But it says, he will not break them. He will not break them at all. And he will not put out the smoldering wick. I want to talk to you today about this simple truth that Jesus does not break the bruised reeds. First of all, some of us <clears throat> have been bruised with different, in different ways. Some of you here today are bruised with uncleanness. Uncleanness. You can't figure it out, but you know something's not right. You know that you're not the kind of person that you should be. Perhaps it's not even one specific thing in your life. It's, you would, in some ways, you would love it if you could point to one specific issue in your life that's not right, but you can't. It's, it's just this, this mass, this, this, this gray aura of something that you realize, I can't put my finger on it, but something is not right. I am not the person I should be. My life is not the way it should be. My family's not the way I should be. Something is wrong. I am unclean. I am impure. There's something out of harmony in my life. Some of you are like that. You've been bruised with 
this. But the reality is, is Jesus comes to you today, and he does not break those bruised with uncleanness. In Matthew chapter 8, when a leper came to him, bruised with all of this uncleanness upon him, he said, Lord Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus does not break those bruised with the uncleanness of their hearts. Or perhaps you come here today and you say, nope, I know what my problem is. My problem is sin. Now, sin is a word that we don't maybe like to talk a lot about, but the reality is, is you and I are sinners. We are not the people that we should be. We have fallen short of God's glory. We don't match all of the expectations um, that we set for ourselves, let alone that God has set for us. We are sinful and full of guilt. Uh, Psalm 90, Moses again writes, You, God, have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Each and every one of you, I'm sure, has sins that are hidden only to you. Maybe even your spouse doesn't even know them. They're hidden. But in God's sight, they're set before his eyes. They're plain before him. You've set them right before the holy God. Are you bruised with sin here today? Well, there was a man once also who came to Jesus. He was a paralytic. And he was brought to Jesus when Jesus was in a, in a house. And you know the story, they lower him down. And Jesus Whenever he sees you today, he sees you in your sin. He sees all the stuff you've hidden, all the stuff that maybe you've even hidden it from yourself that you don't want to know or even think that you're actually that bad. But Jesus looks at you and me today and says, take heart, my son or my daughter. Your sins are forgiven you. He does not break the bruised reeds. He cleanses and heals and forgives us. Perhaps others of you are here today and you're bruised not with simply sin, but shame, the embarrassment that comes with sin. Right? Because um, shame is that, that sense of that we want to hide from God. Harold Sankbell writes that shame cripples and shrivels the soul. It burdens the heart with an intense and overpowering sense of disgrace and dishonor. Because of our sin, we are embarrassed of who we are, you see. We want to keep as much separation between us and God, and also, if we're honest, between us and other people. Because that's what sin does. That's what sin and shame does. It isolates us. Because we can't be vulnerable with other people because we're afraid that if they knew who I really am, or what I really thought, or what I really did, or my inclinations, they would want nothing to do with me. The reality is, is as you look around this room today, every single one of us has the same heart. We may have different expressions of it, but we all have the same problem. When we read in the Gospel of Matthew about Matthew, you think about Matthew, he's a Jew, but he's a tax collector. And if you know the situation in the ancient world there, he's a traitor. Matthew is filled with shame. 
He's embarrassed. Perhaps there were days when Matthew hated who he was because he knows that he's a traitor to his people. Tax collectors had a horrible reputation. And yet, Jesus does not break the bruised reed here either. Jesus sees Matthew sitting there, and he sees you sitting here today. <clears throat> and as he told Matthew, he tells you, follow me. Today, Jesus calls you and me out of our shame, out of our embarrassment, out of our sin, out of our hiding, out of our fear. He says, come, follow me. Come to me. I came for you. Though you and I have much to be ashamed of, Jesus is not ashamed to call you and I his brothers and sisters. Or perhaps other of you here are not simply bound in sin and shame, but it's a form of addiction and chains that you cannot break. Has anybody ever been there? You just say, I'm not going to do this again. And you do it the next day. Whether that be judging other people. Whether that be what you do in private. Or whether that be a thought pattern, words you use, how you treat other people. Whatever it is. You said, I would never do that again. But you realize, I just did it again. And sin feels like, like a sinking ship, like the Titanic. And you're sitting there trying to plug the holes with your fingers. But every single time you plug one hole, another leak springs. And the ship keeps coming down. You feel in chains of your own making. Or you sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Perhaps you say, I've made my own chains. I'm in a mess of my own making. No one can set me free from this. And all you can do is sit alone and hear the shackles cling. But Jesus will not bruise you either. In Mark chapter 5. He faced a man who was oppressed with real demons. Now your demons may be real or they may be figurative. But Jesus has come to set you free. He has come to shatter those chains of sin and shame. The forces of darkness are no match for the Son of God. He tells you today to come out of the darkness. To set you free. Because remember Isaiah chapter 61. That wonderful truth about who Jesus is. He has come to proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of sight to the blind. That's who your savior is to you. Or perhaps some other else here is, is not simply bruised with chains and addiction. But you're bruised with fear. And you wonder. I'm so scared of Jesus. You see Jesus to you is intimidating. Jesus to you is scary because you don't know um, whether or not he'll take you. You don't know whether or not he'll forgive you. You don't know whether or not he really wants to help you or not. Because he's busy with all the other people. Well, we read about a woman who was in such a case in Mark chapter 5. There's a woman there. Remember, Jesus is on his way to raise a dead girl. Yes, she's sick, and then later on we know she's dead. And he's going to go raise her from the dead. But on his way... There's this woman, right, who has gone to doctors, wasted all of her money, used it all up, trying to get healed of this discharge, and she can't get healed. And she says, if I only go and find him and just sneak up behind him, I don't want to bother Jesus. She's kind of afraid of him. And if I grab the robe, I know I'll be healed because he can help me, but I'm kind of scared of him. 
Well, you know the story. She goes up, sneaks behind Jesus, grabs the robe, and even whenever she doesn't think Jesus sees her, he actually does. And he says he knew power had gone out from him. She's scared to death, and Jesus says, somebody touched me. And his disciples say, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? But there was one person that was different. And this woman comes, we're told, in trembling and fear. And she falls before Jesus. She tells him the whole truth. She's probably waiting for Jesus to give her a good tongue lashing. Jesus tells her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, Jesus called her to himself, not to embarrass her and not to make her afraid, but to make her realize the Savior she trusted in was actually the most approachable Savior in the world. Jesus, the last thing he wants to do is be intimidating to me and you. Or perhaps you're here today also, and you say, I'm bruised with sin, I'm bruised with shame, and bruised with these chains, but I'm also bruised perhaps simply with just wanting more. I'm hungering, and I'm thirsting, I'm starving. There must be something more in this world or something beyond this world. There must be something that this world cannot fill inside me. I long for life, but everywhere I turn, all the wells that I dig for myself, all the places I go to try to find satisfaction, I can get nothing. But Jesus does not break those who are bruised with hunger and thirst. He is the living water. Remember the Samaritan woman. She was bruised with thirst, but she did not realize it. And he said, I came to give you water that you don't even know about. Drink of me and live. Everyone who drinks of Jesus will never be thirsty again. He is the bread of life. He is the water of life. And out of you will flow streams of living water. Perhaps other of you, especially after the holiday season, are bruised with weariness. You're tired, worn out. Perhaps you feel like Peter in Luke chapter 5, where he told Jesus, We've toiled all night and took nothing. It's futile. Or perhaps you're just tired of life as a sinner in a fallen world. You're weary of sin because sin is wearying, isn't it? The cycle of sin and addiction in our lives is draining. It destroys us. And we're worn out. We're tired. And we want to quit. And we have only two options. Whether we get up the next day and grind through the next day. Or we despair and give up hope. But Jesus does not break you and me when we are worn out with weariness and tired and toiling. He calls to me and you again, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come here to me. Come right now. Don't try to figure it all out on your own. Don't try to follow five steps to get back with God. Just come to me right now. That's what he says, because he says, I've already come here to you. I'm right here. Just take me, and there's going to be rest for your soul. Perhaps you're like so many of us who have walked the Christian life, <clears throat> and after a while with Jesus, you realize not only are you weary, but you're also bruised with your own unfaithfulness to him. 
How many of us have broken resolutions that we would have kept to Jesus? Jesus, I'm going to love you more this year. Jesus, I want to serve you more this year. Jesus, I, I want to, to, to dedicate my life to you. I want to give you everything. Those are good motivations, good desires. But the reality is, is you and I, because we're sinners, we are so often false to the Lord, aren't we? We're like Peter. We have great ambitions, but we're doing it in our own strength. You thought that you were strong and faithful. You thought, yeah, that person and that person, they'll all fall away, but I won't. But you're just like Peter saying, I do not know the man. But just as with Peter, so with you, Jesus does not break those bruised with unfaithfulness. He is faithful even when we are not. Yes, while Peter was standing there denying the Lord, while Peter was there lying, cussing, cursing, denying the Lord of glory, Jesus, just a few yards away, was in the process of atoning for it all. And he was going to take Peter, that man, and make him the first preacher of the gospel on Pentecost. He does not break the bruised reeds. Or perhaps you've come here today and you've lived a full life or a long life. And you're filled with regrets. Who among us doesn't have regrets, right? Um, I'm filled with regrets for my life. Well, one of the things I recently am regretting is <clears throat> we had bought these things for these, uh, these jerseys for my sons for Christmas. That was actually, it was from their grandmother. And I was supposed to be the person to clean out the hotel room in Arkansas to make sure that they got put away. Well, I forgot them and we lost them. I'm regretting that because those things are expensive. Um, and perhaps you, like me, are filled with regrets, small but especially those greater. You think about all the opportunities you wasted, all the time that was squandered, all the relationships that were ruined and embittered by sin and shame. Those days and those years can build into multiple years and into decades of regret. Perhaps you feel as if you've wasted your whole life. But you know, there was a man who also felt that same way. And he found himself about 2,000 years ago hanging on a cross beside another man. Here was a thief who had filled a life, lived a life filled with regret. He's thrown his life away, and here he is, condemned to death, hanging on a cross. And all he's got to do his last few hours on earth is he starts to throw curses at the man in the middle cross. But does Jesus break this man filled with a lifelong of regret and sin and shame? He's just bearing upon that cross himself. He's, you can think about it, right? This man is hanging in there on the cross wearing all of this sin and all of this shame upon his shoulders as he is breathing in his last hours. And Jesus looks at that man and does not break that bruised reed. Rather, whenever that man looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What does Jesus say? Today, 
I say to you, truly, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus does not break the bruised reed, and he will not break you. No matter if you've lived a life full of regret, all of the weight, and all of that regret, and all of the sin and the shame that that man was feeling at that moment, he looked over and he realized it had already all been placed on the man on the other cross for him. Lastly, and this is probably the greatest thing of all that we struggle with, at least I do, we're bruised with all of these other things, but perhaps the greatest bruising of all is the bruising of unbelief. We're bruised with doubt that Jesus Christ really is mine. Not simply his and hers, but he's mine. Did Jesus really come from heaven to seek me? And can I really believe that all of my salvation, I can just, he just did it all and I can just trust that he did it all for me. We can be bruised with unbelief. I don't know about you, but I face that. You're not alone. Thomas, of course, after Jesus' resurrection, said himself, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, Jesus, whenever he, he knows what Thomas has done, and we, you know the truth, eight days later, Jesus shows up and Thomas is there. Now, what would you have done if you were Jesus, right? Really, Thomas, really. How many times do I have to tell you, you don't believe anybody else, right? I'm sick and tired of you being so unfaithful and doubting all the time. What do I have to do to get you to believe in me? Is that what he does? No. Jesus does not break the bruised reed. The first thing he says, peace be with you. Peace is accomplished. Then he says to Thomas, all right, in a sense, right? He's saying, Thomas, so you won't believe unless you place your finger here or put your hand on my side. All right, well, here we go. Put your finger here and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Trust me. Thomas, of course, answers, my Lord and my God. Whatever your problem is today, and whatever problems you face in the coming year, you have this Savior to come to. And I'm going to tell you this right now before it comes. You are going to feel, whether you feel it this way right now or not, at some point or multiple points in the coming year, you are going to feel as if you're about to fall to pieces. And you're going to have guilt, and you're going to have shame, and you're going to have sin. And you will be unfaithful to the Lord at some point. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. As we go to the next year, we have a dwelling place in all generations. And the dwelling place is not in a God, some mystical way out there. But it's, in, it's hidden inside the scars and the hands and the feet of this incarnate Savior. 
That's our dwelling place. And when we come to him, he will never break us. He will never lose us. He will never put us out. He welcomes us. He has been searching for you this day. And he's come to bring you back home. Out of all your guilt, all your shame, all of your suffering, all of your sin. So he can fetch you back to himself and bring you to the Father in heaven. There's a hymn I want to close with. I, I love this, this hymn. It's, a, it's been updated. I'm going to read the updated version just because it's a little easier. But it says much of what I, I hope that as we and you and I turn the page on one year into the next, that we will consistently resort to this Savior, that you will come to him no matter what happens, that you will trust in him no matter what. It goes this way. At evening when the sun had set, the sick, O Lord, around you lay. In what distress and pain they met, but in what joy they went away. Once more the evening comes and we, oppressed with various ills, draw near. And though your form we cannot see, we know and feel that you are here. O Savior Christ, our fears dispel for some are sick and some are sad, and some have never loved you well, and some have lost the love they had. And none, O oh Lord, has perfect rest, for none is wholly free from sin. And those who long to serve you best are conscious most of wrong within. O oh, Savior Christ, the Son of Man, you have been troubled, tested, tried, your kind but searching glance can scan the very wounds that shame would hide. Your touch has still its ancient power. No word from you can fruitless fall. Meet with us in this evening hour, and in your mercy, heal us all. As you approach the next year, you have a compassionate Savior. And every time you come to these doors, you come to the compassionate Savior again. And every time you pray to him, you have a Savior who loves you and is ready to heal you, to walk with you, and to bring you eventually into his eternal kingdom at the last day. Let's pray together and let's sing a closing song. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus after us. Thank you for sending him to fetch us to heal all of our wounds and not to break us when we're bruised. He knows our frame. He knows that we are frail. But we thank you that in Jesus Christ, we're strong. And in Jesus Christ, we are invincible. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. For Jesus' sake alone we pray. Amen.